I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to remind you this morning of a, of a simple truth, and it's going to begin with a confession, but not by me, but by you guys. Uh, and that is, um, I want you to confess in your mind a bad habit that you have, okay? Um, so I didn't say your wife's bad habit. I said your own bad habit. So what's a bad habit that you have? Now, my, my daughter, uh, Lainey, she's here with us today, and she, she's learning how to drive. And she, uh, she shared with me the other day that growing up when we do like long road trips, uh, she confessed one of my bad habits. And then she said, I noticed that when mom drives, the, there's like this clicking that goes on a lot. Uh, but when you drive, this clicking doesn't happen too often. She's talking about turn signals, all right? And so, um, and so like, I was super convicted by this. Now, I'll just remind you this about habits in general. Now, you have your own, right? Did you come up with your own bad habits, some of you? Um, that that there's, there's bad habits that create, and over time, it's harder to get rid of bad habits. Now, I promise you, when I was 15 years old, like she's, and I was learning how to drive, my, my driver's ed instructor taught me the value of a turn signal. I promise you that when I went through my driver's ed exam that I passed on my 16th birthday, aren't you impressed, um, the, uh, the, that, uh, that I used my turn signals. But on the way to church today, while I was planning on using Using this as an illustration, I still forgot to use my turn signals, right? You understand how habits creep into our lives, right? In Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that's going to talk about habits that can lead to neglect. And he's going to talk about the body of Christ, and he's going to know us. God knows you so perfectly. He knows the dialogue that you have in your mind when you say, do I really need to go today? Isn't there more important things for me to do? Isn't there something more valuable? And what he knows about your and my natural tendency is that we can find ourselves in a habit a pattern of neglect when it comes to the body of Christ. And I want to encourage you and remind you this morning. This is really fascinating. In 2000 or in 2020 there was a study done about church attendance and about 40% of Americans agreed that it is very important to attend church regularly. And um, so we, we agree. It's kind of like going to the gym. We all think it's a really good idea, uh, but less than 25% of people attended that, uh, attend church regularly. Now, now, when we say attending regularly, we're not talking about once every two months, right? Uh, but we're talking about commitment to regularly participate within the body of Christ. And what we're going to see in the book of Hebrews, when we look at these incredible verses, they're familiar. You've heard this before. I've preached on this message before, but it's so important for us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, that we're going to recognize together that you and I are better when we connect together. That we're better when we make intentional decisions about connecting. And if we don't, what we're going to see is the results of an individual that doesn't experience the intimacy that God's designed for us to have in community. And there's going to be things that, that we see like discouragement, missing out on opportunities to grow together, that, that there's consequences for us when we miss out on the blessing of cross-pollinization in the local church, the, the body of Christ as we live together. It's interesting how that works, right? My, my parents growing up, they had two apple trees. And uh, I'm told that when there's two, that they pollinate one another. But one of them died and the other one stopped producing nearly as much fruit as it did before. And, and today, as we study this passage, we're going to see 
that the Lord knows our heart. He knows our tendencies. He knows your scouting report. And he understands the natural tendency for us to come up with excuses to not live out the mission that he's designed for us. And, and we're going to see in this passage that there's a sense of urgency about it. That there's a privilege that's associated with connecting together with one another. As a church family, we are on mission together. We're rowing together. We have a mission that God's given us. And part of the reason why we're taking a pause on our First Corinthians series, The Prodigal Church, is that we want to talk about ways for you to connect together. There's opportunities for you to connect here. And we have a ministry fair. Uh, last week, we had opportunities for you to serve. And this week, we're going to give you opportunities to connect. And I recognize that this gets a little personal for us. This, this asks us to know and to be known. It asks us to enter into burden-bearing fellowship. And it comes, I think, for many of us with a risk. That there, there's a part of this that we wrestle with with, am I ready for that? Is it time to commit? Is it, is it the opportunity that God has for us? And I just want to remind you that God desires for each one of us to transform our lives together by knowing him intimately. I'm so encouraged. I walked around to the Bible classes that are happening right now, and there's people who are attending classes all over our church during the week. They're growing intimately in their understanding of God. But this next one that's a, a commitment of ours is connecting with others, uh, be, being unified together in community that we recognize the simple truth that we're better together. And last week we focused on serving the body and bringing hope to the world. That's what we're all about. If you understand God's mission for you as a believer, that's a partially God's mission for us as a church. And I'll just remind you the first point this morning that flows right out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Neglecting your Christian family is a really bad habit. Uh, it says this in verse 24. It says, and let us consider. Now, I, I want to pause here for a second. And I want to remind you as we study this that the responsibility for connecting together in community is not someone else's job. This isn't your spouse's job. This isn't my job to, to in push. I, I was a youth pastor at one time. And every once in a while, we'd have a parent who'd bring a student in. And they were like, hey, help Tommy get involved in the youth group. You know how hard that is? Like, you can take them to the water, but you can't teach them to drink, right? Uh, like that there's a part of, of relationships and things that the responsibility for this isn't for someone else to pursue you. But instead, what I see in the text is it's saying, let us consider how to engage with one another, to stir up one another to love and good works. That word stir up is the same word for spurring on. I, I always think of this, I use this illustration often because there's an agitator in my washing machine and agitation is not fun, right? Sometimes. The agitation does something. It, it's, it, 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 it's provocative, it's challenging. And I will say to you, in Christian community, when we talk about burden-bearing fellowship, when we talk about about being intimate with others, part of that process means that there's people who are coming alongside of you and spurring you on to, what's it say? Love and good works. There's a lot of that missing in the world that we live in today, right? Like love and good works is what he's challenging us to do. And so that's, that's really good things, right? And so I want to encourage you to gather together to be spurred on. I'll tell you some ways that that happens. Sometimes I'm around other people who are way more generous than I am. 
And, and I, I, I'm convicted by their understanding of God's generosity or more forgiving than I am. Sometimes it's because they just straight up call me out. Like, hey, knucklehead. Uh, sometimes they do it nicer than that. But, but I'm spurred on because of others who are in burden-bearing fellowship together. So let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works and then verse 25, it talks about this, this concept of neglect. Um, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Uh, let, let's be honest that, that if we don't maintain things, they get neglected. We, um, we, we love Chippewa Lake. I love going down there and kayaking down. There's a beautiful place. And someone had tipped me off that there's this old amusement park that's down there. Did, did anybody ever attend the amusement park in its glory days, Lisa, you have? So, so if you go there today, it's, it, you'd probably be pretty sad if you go there because there's like this awesome, um, there's an awesome uh, Ferris wheel and all these different, and there's like trees growing through them because they've been abandoned. So it, it sits in a place beside the lake that's gorgeous, but it's, it's been abandoned. So when you go to Cedar Point, you recognize that probably every day they're painting everything and maintaining and keeping it up. And, but, but if you ignore it, then something inside, it, it falls apart, right? Well, well spiritually, this is this, this part of this challenge this morning is is breaking the habit of connecting together with our family. There's a neglect that happens that ultimately becomes harder to undo over time. That it becomes something that, that when neglect happens, when the weeds start to grow and they don't get checked, then at some point it becomes overwhelming. And, and in the text, what I see here is not neglecting to be together, to meet together, to to choose to be a part of this group that God's called to fellowship together with. This becomes a habit of some. And then, and then he talks about the blessings of this. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a sense of urgency. There's an encouragement that goes through a, as a person who understands the blessing of being in community. I'll, I'll share this from my own personal experience. And I'm sure that many of you can relate to this, that isolation can lead to some ugly things, that, that it can allow us to neglect what is most important in our lives, that, that we, we can recognize that, that this particular bad habit, though, I'm an optimist. I hope you are. I, I'm optimistic. This is great. You know what? Bad habits, we've all got them. Uh, and who confessed for their spouse? A few of you, you should feel guilty about that. Your own bad habits. I want to remind you that bad habits can be broken. Praise the Lord for that, right? And, and here, as he says this in the text, there's a part of this that he's challenging the listeners to say, we can change in this area. Because what we're, what we're trying to avoid is bad habits that become ultimately a way of life, right? A, a, a pattern, a, like an old dirt road that the tires go down to its lowest denominator, their natural ending place. So we want to break bad habits. And, but the problem is when we neglect our Christian family, often we can find ourselves stuck in that. I think also another result, he talks about courage and being encouraged. I think the opposite of that is a temptation for us to forget our purpose, to, to experience um, the lack of having the courage for the challenges of the next day. I will tell you that friends and, and brothers and sisters in Christ have helped me through some of the most daunting, frightening, challenging moments of my life because they've lifted my arms up through experiences. They've prayed for us through times of transition or decisions. 
And, and I look at that and I see they do what that word sounds like, fill me with courage, right? And for some of us, we've just, uh, we're discouraged. We, we don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold and we find that weight to be too heavy for us to carry. And I can't help but wonder, maybe you're missing out on the privilege of burden-bearing fellowship with brothers and sisters, discouragement. And another one is disappointment. When we talk about the local church in general, I think that it's really common for us to be disappointed with the church. That, that whether it's that we want to go back to the glory days or whether we want, some, somebody said this well, a friend uh, pointed this out one time. She said that uh, I think it's common after church for people to have roast for lunch, you know, uh, roast the pastor, roast the, roast the, the worship leader, uh, you know, roast the temperature in the room. Man, I'm still trying to dial that in, you know, that, that there's, there's always things to be frustrated with. And I, I look at that and I think, what happens at times is people can find themselves being disappointed, wanting to have a different experience. And, and ultimately what they do is they abandon it altogether. They give up on it. I'm, I'm discouraged by it. I, I can remember one student in my youth group whose parents um, called me up one time and they said, Tommy, it's not his name, but Tom, Tommy hates the youth group. He uh, he comes home and he tells us all of the, the bad things that have happened. Like, Teaching's terrible and this, never fun. You guys never do anything. I'm, I'm listening to it. And literally nothing that he said sounded like what, what youth ministry was like. It didn't sound right. And I said to the mom, you know, we haven't seen him for a year. And, and, and then we realized that when he left the house, he said he was going, but instead he was going somewhere else. I think for, for some of us, there's times when I'll interact with somebody and I realize they've never even been or they haven't experienced, they haven't understood. And, and by the way, when it comes to the church thing, let me just remind you, there's a huge difference. I, I am so thankful for technology and I'm thankful for those who join us over time. You guys know that before COVID, we didn't even have cameras. Uh, we only had an audio option and our tech team has done an incredible job. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm thankful for technology, but I had an experience. My wife and I got to go to a big football game yesterday. We had a lot of fun. And I'll tell you, I love to listen to football games on the radio. Um, I love watching football games in, you know, on TV, uh, especially when the Browns win. Right, Lisa? Uh, she's a Steelers fan. You can pray for her. Um, but uh, the, uh, we, we, like, we like that. But, but when you're in the, I mean, in the stadium, it's a totally different experience, right? Sounds different. And, 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 and that's a, there's, a, there's an element of that in the local church setting that when we say that part of burden-bearing fellowship, koinonia fellowship, is knowing and being known, it requires you to be in person. Now, now, how different is it from being an observer, though, to actually being on the field? I can't imagine what that would feel like in a stadium full of 80,000 people. But, but the point there is, is that we, we, we at times misunderstand when he's saying here is, I'm giving you this gift of community. I'm giving you this gift of fellowship. You desperately need it. And if you don't partake in what I've given you, you can find yourself neglecting What's essential? You're discouraged, you're disappointed, and ultimately you find yourself isolated. Uh, I, I think that one of the natural things, I've heard this before, so many, um, uh, I've had friends who've said things to me like, you know, they don't even ask me how I'm doing at church anymore. And then I ask them, have you been there? Like, it's, it's hard to ask somebody how they're doing when they're not there, right? 
And I'm not saying that to belittle people's experiences. I'm just saying like naturally there's this forsaking, neglecting to meet together. And that habit has some pretty ugly consequences in some of our lives. The last is isolation um, that leads to vulnerability. I want to remind you that the description of the deceiver is that he wants to steal, kill, and devour, and that he, he is roaming like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. First Peter 5.8 says it like this. It says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This, this statement is saying that, that Satan's looking for whom he can devour. Now, if you've ever watched, I, w- I want you to watch a video. This is just about a minute long. But if you've ever watched one of these National Geographic specials, like the, the voiceover is almost always the same. Like notice the, you know, the caribou in the field and um, notice that. So, so what the, the lions are going to inherently try to do is they're going to try to isolate one of the, one of these, um, one of these, whatever these animals are. Um, so, so you watch it, right? Mom's sticking close to them. Uh, they're stuck together. Look, she's, she's really take, taking care of business there. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? But, but I want you to remember that the deceiver has come to steal, to kill, and to devour. He's like a roaming lion seeking who he can devour. In, in this short video, what ends up happening, you see it, is that now they're going to try to cut them apart, to isolate, right? To, to separate them from the herd. And, and as, you, as you watch the story play out, it's terrible, right? It, it's hard to see. Um, and and, and you, you, you kind of know where the story's going, right? You guys are like, Sean, why did you show us this? <laughs> but, but watch, this is so awesome. Then, then what ends up happening, the, the next like five minutes are like the, the herd showing up and taking care of this little one. It's amazing. The, the herd shows up and, and steps in and they're like, oh, okay, everything's fine now, right? Now, now, some of us are going through the battle of life, regardless of the life stage that we're in. We're going through the battle of life without a herd around us. One of my best friends who used this illustration with me, he's a pastor. And, and one of the things that's interesting about our relationship is I, I love this illustration because, because we recognize as brothers, that, as friends, that he's someone who has my back at times. At times, he has been an agitating force in my life. Hey, this is an area that I think you're exposed in. Are, yeah, I've noticed this pattern in your life. Are you being cautious about this relationship? Hey, you need to never go back there again. And I look at that in my friendship and I recognize as hard as it is, he is a friend that's spurring me on in my relationship. He's, he, he is, he's a part of my herd, right? And what's fascinating to me is the Lord Jesus, when he invested in the lives of the disciples, it's quite fascinating that, that it wasn't that Jesus just ministered to hundreds and feedings of thousands. And, but we know that in his public ministry, that Jesus's time was concentrated on a group of 12 people. And that was almost uh, more concentrated at times with a group of three. And part of that was that Jesus recognized his limitations in time. 
And for some of us, I notice this in the church setting sometimes, is that we, we talk about church size, and it's like, oh, I go to Hope because it's this size or this. I, I think the size of a church in some ways is irrelevant. I've been a part of massive churches, and I've been a part of smaller churches. But the key for us is that we have to surround ourselves with a group of people that we're intentionally uh, pursuing burden-bearing fellowship with together. And if you're not doing that, honestly, you're isolated and you're exposed. You don't know when you're going to need that herd around you. I'll just remind you of that. But you will, in your life, be exposed at times. And so this conviction, this challenge from the text is to say, let's consider how to stir one another up. Let's pursue each other. Let's encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I, I love, I love God's, God's word and how he just, he knows our hearts so well. And, and this, this encouragement that I see in this text that, that reminds me of God's goodness and his provision is that, that um, being together can ultimately lead to great things in our lives. I just want to share a few of these. Connection, knowing others and being known. It, it takes time to develop that kind of relationship, but it's a result of deliberate pursuit and um, being better together as we've talked about this. There's a, there's a difference between engaging together and watching from a distance. And I think that we all inherently long to know and to be known. You guys, some of you will know, that I'll, I'll date myself on this one, but where, you know, you, you want the cheers experience, right? Where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came, right? Uh, I won't sing for you, right? But, but we all long for that. Um, Howard Schultz, the, the founder of Straw, um, Starbucks, I mean, Seven Bucks, um, he says, that was funny. Um, Howard Schultz says this. He says, we are not in the business of filling bellies. We're in the business of filling souls. That sounds weird, but he has coined a phrase or that he's borrowed, but I think it's powerful. He says, he says, no, I mean, this is how we feel. We at Starbucks are in the business of human connection and humanity, creating communities in a third place between home and work. Uh, my office over in the, the building next door here is, uh, it overlooks a, a bar that's across the street. And, and sometimes I wonder, is, is the bar a better place at times for people to connect, to know and be known? And then I recognize, no, that, that's a, a shallow experience. It ultimately doesn't leave you fed. And I'm guessing the same way with a cup of coffee. That's nice that Schultz understands that he's selling something that's necessary for us. But I'll just remind you. The only place where that scratch gets itched is within the fullness of the body of Christ. It is when you recognize that it's not what gathers us together is our likeness, but because of the fact that we serve the same God, right? That, that we share the same identity in Christ because of his goodness. So burden-bearing fellowship is a result of pursuit of a God that knows us. And in this connection, there's no connection like it. Nothing in the world offers what that connection can be. And I, I promise you that if you evaluate your life, if you look at the relationships that you've been in, uh, that, that what the Lord offers for us is unconditional love. That's, that's what he offers for us. And that's the desire of the body of Christ. And we don't live in a world that gives unconditional love. 
So, so we see the value of connection. I also would say we see the value of collaboration. The, the idea of burden-bearing fellowship means that we together, it's more fun to do life together. It's more uh, beneficial to experience the privilege of serving and at times suffering together. But I think that we need others. And, and there's, a, there's a benefit to that de- deliberate dependence upon one another. The next is correction. In a way, we break bad habits together, right? That we spur each other on to love and to good deeds. And, I, and I'll tell you, in my own commitment in my life in this area, and there have been challenges for me at times where I have said, I need to pursue community. We're, we're, we're missing out on the privilege of burden-bearing fellowship as a family or as a couple. And I am reminded of the simple fact that when I do that, when I invest in it appropriately, I find myself deeply encouraged and being filled and filling others with courage. I I love that idea that we have what it takes to be able to experience what God's given us. And in the church family setting, we get to experience corporate worship together. We get to experience orthodoxy, uh, the commitment and conviction of the truth of God's word. And we get to experience hope together. There's, There's so much that's a benefit of us gathering together. And there's a sense of urgency in the text. I want you to hear this. He says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love that God's, this was written 2,000 years ago. And, and the God that I serve knew what was coming. He knew that there were going to be distractions that were going to happen in our lifetime. He knew that technology was going to come. He knew the Browns were going to be on TV, right? And, and, and it's important for us to understand that what he said 2,000 years ago was, the Lord's going to return. You're going to be, um, you're going to be blessed to identify what you've invested your life in. There's going to be a day when you graduate and you show your work. And I want to remind you as we celebrate this that he understood that there was going to be a temptation to be distracted. There's going to be a temptation to miss out on what God, he understood that we were going to have devices and things that were going to pull us away. But his challenge is all the more as the day of Christ draws near. And so he was speaking to you and to I that As we anticipate the return of the Lord, we want to be ready for it. We want to have invested in the things that are precious to him. And you know what I love about God's word? It's rare that it commands or challenges us to do something without telling us how to. And what I love is that we get a show and tell time. That in the verses prior to this this challenging set of verses, there's this description. And I want you to see this, that you and I, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, have been given access. And I, and I think we see in the text that when we talk about opening ourselves up to other people, that his expectation is that we give access to other people. It says this in verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh. Now, what's going on here? The, the description in the text is beautiful. You will remember that on the day that Jesus died, um, there was a temple that was established. And in that temple, there was a curtain that Josephus tells us was about the thickness of a man's hand. And so this curtain had been woven together. And, and that curtain separated the Holy of Holies, where the high priest could only enter into one time a year. And at the moment that Jesus dies, 
there is this incredible moment in history where that curtain was torn from top to bottom in two. And what we understand is through Jesus' death, we were given access to the God of the universe, the Holy of Holies. No priest required. And so when Hebrews teaches about the priesthood of the believers, it's not that you have to go through someone like me to get to God, but because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, what we are allowed to do is to have access to the king ourselves. Isn't that great? And so, so what we recognize is that in this Hebrews passage is he says, you know what Jesus did for you? He opened the door to salvation for you. Goes on to say in the text that, that he um, let us draw near, I'm sorry, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, this is the Lord Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. I want you to catch this. This is, this is a passage that's about salvation. This is a passage about the work of the cross. But I, I, I want to remind you this morning that Jesus taught us in John 10, 9, that he is the door. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. Um, the Lord Jesus gives us access to the God of the universe. And in that process, he does so by grace. It's not deserved. It's undeserved gift, that he's opened the door for you. Sometimes uh, I, I think of, of closed doors and open doors, and I, I want to remind you that through the blood of Christ, he's opened doors for us. And so as a Christ follower, we ought to be people who are opening the doors of our lives to other people. It's a very important thing for us to remember. He's opened the door for us. We ought to follow in that example and open ourselves. Now, there's reasons why we close that door. I, I love this, uh, uh, this uh, Far Side comic. Some of you have seen this before. Sorry if you've seen it before. But I love this. So um, it says uh, the Midvale School for the Gifted, and then he's pushing on the pole door, right? Uh, I love that. There's a, there's a part of us that recognizes that, that some of the experiences in our life are closed. The, the next slide. We've, we've experienced this. Many of us have. Your, your Google app on your phone tells you a store's open or a restaurant's open, and you, you drive over to the place, and you're excited to get your coffee or whatever it is, and then they've got that little white piece of paper where they've written that new store hours, right? Like that, that it's closed. I, I want to challenge you for a second. That for some of us that have experienced the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we've accepted his forgiveness. And if you haven't, today's a great day for you to do that. He's given you access. But for those of us who know it, I believe that we ought to be people who are open for business, that we're available for people to engage in our lives and that we allow people in, new relationships that, that say, I want to love you like Christ loved me. I want to be a part of loving and being spurred on to good works. But I admit that for some of us, that's extremely difficult. We're, we're more likely to take down the open for business sign and say, yes, we're home. No, you can't come in. Seriously, right? Isn't that a great sign? So some of you are like taking a picture that I'm going to buy me one of those, right? Like, I, I think that for some of us, this isn't just Hope Church. This is, I think, for some of us that are Christ followers, some of us who've been believers for a while, that we have allowed ourselves to become calloused. That, that if you could have a visual representation of our hearts, that there's barbed wire that's around them. Why? Because we've been hurt. Why? Because we've been disappointed. Why? Because people haven't met our expectations. 
And, and I, I don't know anybody in, in Northeast Ohio that I've been around that's not generally, at least on the surface, pretty kind, like nice people. Maybe we're nice people. But, but I think that the idea that I'm going to let you into my life, that I'm going to know and be known, that I'm going to expose myself, I'm going to be vulnerable. That's not like, like, remember the signs outside of Brunswick when they were like, the safest community in America, right? It's not safe, like to let people in, right? It doesn't, it, it, it means it requires you to be inherently vulnerable to let new people come into your life. And I'll just remind you, the God who loved Judas, the God who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, that he taught us what it means to open our lives up to new people. Why? Because he wants to seek and to save that which was lost, because he understands that if we isolate ourselves, we make ourselves vulnerable, that we need to depend on one another, more so today than ever, by the way. So, so the momentum of our society is to isolate right now. It really is. The momentum is to, to pull back and to hide from and to put boundaries up to protect ourselves. And I, I think that one of the great challenges that we need to recognize is that, is that God has something more for you. There's more opportunity for you amidst these open doors that he's opened for you and I. And so, yes, uh, are there the reasons to be disappointed in the church? Uh, yes, are there reasons to be disappointed in some people in the church? Absolutely. But I think it's your responsibility and your privilege based upon the teachings of God's word. I, uh, my one friend who came up and he's like, hey, I've heard you preach on this before. And, and, and I would say maybe, maybe partially why I'm preaching on this again is because I believe that this is a truth that we all need to work on applying. I, I want to work on applying this truth in my own life as well, that we are opening ourselves to know and to be known, that we're finding the right size portion of relationships in our world to allow new people in. And I, I still believe this about God's bride when we talk about the church, that that warts and all, with its complexities and its blemishes, that the local church is still the thing that God is using to radiate his hope of the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. That the local church is still his mission to, uh, is the primary way that he's fulfilling his mission. And when he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it reminds us we're on the winning team. That, that he still believes in the local church. And I think you and I should be people who do the same. So, so we take this personally. We pursue um, the ability to connect together. Don't, there, there's opportunities for you to connect here. Um, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to take the initiative on that, not wait to be pursued. And uh, I, I think that it's, it's beautiful as we are a part. You know, the, the word ecclesia is the word we translate in English as church. And, it, and it's a called out group of people. Uh, that we're, we're separated on purpose. We're a little bit weird in the world that we live in. Some of us are more weird than others, let's be honest. But um, when we think about this privilege of being called out, I want you to hear um, this, this simple truth that comes out of the text in verse 23. It says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So that's why we connect together. That's why we don't forsake the gathering of the brothers. That's why we thrive together in community. That's what God's designed for you and I to function within. 
is within his design. So, so let's break those bad habits if we've allowed them to creep in. Let's, let's choose to maintain and care for what's most precious in our lives. Not by hiding and putting up boundaries, but by choosing to allow his people to become a part of our lives. If we do that, I think God's going to ultimately be glorified. And we're going to find ourselves filled with courage. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and I ask, Lord, that you would convict us in this area. I pray for my own family. I pray for myself in this area that um, in, in a time where I'm surrounded by people that I love, that I would not keep them at a distance, but instead to understand what it means to know and be known, to experience the kind of burden-bearing fellowship that you've designed for us to have, the koinonia fellowship. And I I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for your promises to us. I, I thank you that you know, even in the midst of our um, discouraging circumstances, that you know how to fill us with courage. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.